I am going to look at a subject this morning that um, it might turn some of your heads inside out. Um, on the other hand, it might give you a sigh of relief. But um, whatever it does to you, I very sincerely say, let the Holy Spirit be your teacher. Let the Holy Spirit throw his light because I believe we're dealing with something that is one of the incredible mysteries of the Christian life. And I, I was going to say my text, but that's not exactly true because I've got about 10 texts. <laughs> uh, this is where we're going to start. And it, it well, you'll see what I mean. In um, Philippians in chapter 4, and in verse 11 and following that, let's read it just to get that out of the way and you can hold it in your mind. He says, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned, that's a very important word, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, I also know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of being filled and of going hungry, both of having abundance and also suffering need. I can do all these things through him who strengthens me. Okay, what I want to do is a foundation, get us started is there, first of all, in verse 11, he says, I have learned. And then the other word down in verse 12 is, I have learned the secret of being filled and so on. So this is not something that he just sort of knew from the beginning of his Christian life. There was a moment when he learned it. And that word in the Greek language is of even greater importance. It is, in the Greek, he's been initiated into a mystery. And that, that's, that's big. It's one thing to say, I learned. You could do that by sitting down with a teacher. But he says, I've been initiated. That is, when I saw this, I was plunged into another world that, explain things in a way I'd never dreamed of before. And, and what I was initiated into, he called it a mystery. Um, here it says secret, but the word is mysterion, mystery. And mystery in the New Testament doesn't, it's not a sort of whodunit mystery. A mystery is something you'll never get until you realize that Jesus is the key to the getting of it. Um, Jesus is the ultimate unlocking of the mystery. But take him out of the equation and it doesn't make sense. And that's true of the gospel. It's true of many things that are in the New Testament where it uses that word. But this one, I think, this, this takes the gold medal. This, this is a mystery that leaves us, especially in the Western world, in the year 2021, it leaves us speechless because we have been taught the very reverse 
of what this mystery is. And so um, just look at it very quickly before we get into it properly. He says, um, I have learned to be content. That's a massive word. I'll come back to it later. Content in whatever circumstances I am. And in case you don't understand what he means by whatever circumstance, he says, I know how to get along with humble means. That is, um, I don't have, you know, two dimes to rub together, but that's okay. He says, that's okay. Because I also know how to live in prosperity. That is, I know the secret. I found the secret that my exterior circumstances have nothing to do with how I am within my interior self. He said, it's a mystery that I can live with hardly anything to eat, or I can live with a loaded table, and it doesn't make any difference to how I am approaching life. I have learned this secret. I've been initiated into a life of continual contentment. He says, in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and of going hungry, and both of having abundance and of suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And I might just say, though this is not the center of what I'm saying, that we have in the last years uh, been taught in many sections of the body of Christ that if you've got enough faith and if you're blessed, you will always live in prosperity and abundance and everything goes your way. Well, apparently, I get, well, actually, I heard one of those teachers say it, that Paul didn't have enough faith. If Paul should have read one of his books and then he wouldn't have said this. Uh, but no, this is the word of God. And it comes to us very simply that he said, it doesn't matter whether I'm out of money, out of food, or full of abundance and prosperity. I learned the secret of a stable life that is neither uh, made content by my circumstance nor is my inner self detracted by my circumstances. I've lived, and, it, and now he says at the end of it, I can do all things. And again, I've heard a thousand sermons on that, which really means, of course, so we say today, that um, we have become spiritual supermen and superwomen, and, and we can just do everything. They didn't say that. It, you know, you can never take a text just by itself. What, what's around it? What he's saying, I have found the secret, and I can live in abundance, and I can live in poverty, and I can live in whatever's coming down the pike because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The all things are the ever-changing ways of life. Do you get that? Life is always changing. Now, don't try and blame people. You, the, the, the human being is stuck. I've got to give a meaning to everything that happens, and I've got to blame somebody for it. And so when something happens, what's the meaning behind it? God's mad at me, says someone, and God has walked away from you, or God's getting mad at the whole nation, so he's going to take it out on you. And 
We've got to have a meaning to it, you see. It's a meaning. It's the last days. That's the meaning. He said, there are three red moons. That's the meaning. That, no, could be just a weather report. It's, you don't have to look for meanings in everything. It drives you crazy. And, and, and don't blame anybody. We blame God. We blame the devil. We blame our neighbor. We blame everybody we work with. No, you are in the middle of this situation. Doesn't matter who caused it. You're in the middle of it, so in the middle of it, you can handle it. You have the ability. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. That, that's what he's saying here. He's found that in, it's, it's all specific. This all things is specific to the endless changes that occur in our life. They're always happening. Well... He says, it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter what is coming at me. I have a supply of strength that is applicable to all circumstances. Um, content, I'm, a bil- I, I'm satisfied. I, I'm satisfied in my own skin. I, I'm, I'm not shame. I, I, I'm not anxiety. I'm, I'm just plain content. I, I'm at home with myself. Uh, I feel okay about me in the middle of this. I'm content. And he says there's a secret. I was initiated into that. He said, I didn't just get it when I became a Christian. He said, I, I, I came to that, which is the reason we have Christians who don't know how to live like that. No, there's somewhere, and it's not a second blessing or 15th blessing, it's just the Holy Spirit is our teacher. And when it's right in our life, when we come to that place, we, we receive it. Well, then immediately, I got stuck on what did he learn? Now, that fact fascinated me. I know this is the result of it, but what did he learn? What was this moment of initiation? It, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't just let it go. And not only so, but when did he learn it? He said he learned it. Well, that means there was a time when he learned it. It might help me to know when he learned it. And I lived there for a long time asking that question. When did he learn it? When was he initiated into this mystery of being able to be content in all and every circumstance situation? Well, I believe... And I have to say that because there comes a point where you can't prove it. But I believe he talks about this in another epistle. And interestingly, they were both written around the same time. So Philippians he wrote, and around the same time, we don't know exactly, but around the same time, he wrote Second Corinthians. And in Second Corinthians, he says a lot more about it he says um that he knew a man he, he puts it in, in chapter 12 he says i, I know a man in christ uh, that's the way he talked people talked he wouldn't say it happened to me he said i, I know a man it was himself he was talking about and he says i know a man who 14 years ago ah we got a date 14 years ago, and he was caught up into heaven. He heard things and so on. And then he says, well, let, let's start with the 14 years. 
the the epistles second corinthians and philippians were written around ad 55 that means jesus was crucified give or take in ad 30 so there's 20 years more or less between but then when did paul become a christian he became a christian just a few years after um, Jesus died. Well, you put all that together 14 years ago from when he wrote that letter, places him just three or four years old as a believer. And we know from other hints he's given us, he spent time alone in Arabia when he, in his aloneness, he learned the secrets of the entire gospel that come to us in his epistles. And so just about three or four years after he became a Christian, he had revelations of God, but also he had great opposition. Now, I, I, you might not agree with me here, but how he describes that is neither like Paul in his normal state and certainly the rest of the new testament doesn't teach it have you ever thought about it we just go blundering on reading it as if the whole thing is to be taken as the word of god but he says because of my surpassing greatness of revelations to keep me from exalting myself there was given me a thorn in the flesh a messenger of satan to buffet me to keep me from exalting myself. Now that word buffet means to slap your face. And so it says that there was given to me a messenger of Satan to slap my face, but also it means to punch me in the jaw. And so here he said a messenger of Satan to slap me around, punch me in the jaw, and God sent him to keep me humble. Well, now, doesn't that just sound like the New Testament? That God's into employing Satan to beat you up. Um, but then even Satan, the, the word in the Greek is accuser. And we have translated that as Satan, which is the Greek word. Um, Satan means to accuse. And so I believe in a real devil. Let me say that. But there are times when I think we would do better to translate the word instead of making it a title. Do you follow me? So it would do better to say accusing. And so he says, this is my situation. Um, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Is that just how he looked at it at the time? Sounds like it. What a gift. God gave me a thorn in the flesh. And in the Old Testament, and of course, Paul was a Jew and he was saturated in the Old Testament, there's references to this thorn in the flesh, especially in the book of Judges. And it's a word that always describes people, enemy people, nasty people. We would say, getting on my nerves. It's driving me crazy. I could wring their neck. It's, they're, they're always frustrating me. They're always getting in my way. They're always trying to stop me doing the work of God. And in the Old Testament, it's called thorns in the flesh, thorns in your eyes. And, and um, 
So it's a natural he would think of that. And then he would say, a messenger of Satan or an accusing messenger, one who's always accusing me, accusing me. It's getting on my nerves. These people that are always accusing me, they're slapping me around, they're punching me in the face. I guess God's doing that to keep me humble. And based on that, he prays. And he prays, he says, three times, which would be more in our language saying again and again and again. God doesn't answer. Of course he doesn't answer. That, that's, that, that verse that, that Paul thought, this is what's happening to me, not at all. That's not in God's agenda. Don't you ever dare think that your beautiful, loving father slaps you around to keep you humble. Well, okay, you didn't have to be so quiet about it. It's, he does not slap us around. He never employs anybody to punch you in the face. Nor does he send messengers that accuse you. He, he is the end of all condemnation and accusation. And so finally, in this conversation that Paul has, the Lord finally spoke. Have you had enough? You've come to a dead end. You're frustrated, you're angry, you've prayed again and again and again, and nothing's happened. Every time I wake up, are they gone? Are they gone? No, they haven't gone. They're back again. And then the Lord spoke to him and doesn't even answer anything of this last verse, doesn't even talk about it. Of course not. That was Paul's interpretation. Instead, he said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect or perfected in weakness. Well, apparently that just blew Paul away. That was the end of his entire discussion. It was the end of his prayer meeting because the next sentence is most gladly. And the word is a very excited word. I mean, a leaping kind of word. I would rather boast about my weaknesses in order that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I'm well content. Bring it on. Weaknesses. Insults, distresses, persecutions, difficulties, all for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So that something happened 14 years before writing it, and it obviously changed the way he looked at every mean, negative, miserable thing that happened in life. And instead of saying, oh, God, take it away. Instead, he said, I've discovered the secret. My weakness is actually the portal to his strength. Okay, you see, it's, put it like this. Um, go back a minute. Paul, Paul's attitude about weakness. Re really examine it. Um, as I said, he thought he thought God was in all of this misery, and which of course is strange that he would ask that God who was having him slapped around 
is sort of he's appealing to to the mafia boss to you know get your goons off of me. Um, that's the way some people think of God. And he said, here he comes. And in another translation, which I think is very good, he says, I, I, I'm faced with outrageous insults. People say things about me that are absolutely not true. I've been mistreated. And the Greek word there means my hands are tied behind my back and I can't, I'm helpless to do anything. Can't do it. I'm unable to defend myself. I am surrounded by troubles. They're all around me. I'm in cramped circumstance, which is a phrase that's used in the Old Testament, especially for anxiety. It's when canyon walls come together and I, I can't move. And he uses that word, persecutions. Think about that. That's what was happening to Paul. Think about it. Don't listen to me. Think about it. What are you going to do when that happens to you? Or when humble means, when I'm no longer being filled? What, what are you going to do? Well, you do what anyone would do in, in those, those times. Take it away. Take these people away. I, I wanna, I've got a ministry here. I, I'm trying to preach your gospel. Take these people away. Set me free to do the work of God. Let me ask me, because I asked me first, so let me extend my question to me to you. Why are we so afraid of weakness? Because we are. That, that, so when someone insults us and tells lies about us, our response is, shut them up, take them away, make them disappear, anything. What, why? We, because you must admit, behind our prayer there's fear. The, these people are making me afraid. I'm in situations and I can't handle them. Uh, it makes me afraid. And, and I'm saying, take them away. Return me to my comfort zone where nobody makes me feel afraid. Have you ever thought of this? That it isn't that I've sinned and that makes me weak. Rather, I have to go back to my creation, your creation. We are creatures now hold me don't don't tune me out we were created to be weak see now this is where i'm turning everything on its head because we think of weakness as something bad we were created to be weak in other times i've said we are dependent creatures we are made to depend we are derived creatures. We, we receive. So, and if I go back to the original intention of Scripture, it tells me plainly that I was created, but created to receive, depend, derive 
from Christ. It says that before the creation, that was the plan. And so we were created in the image of God. That is, we were created to be indwelt by Christ, who is the image of God, and thus we would image God. So original sin was the lie that Satan told that convinced Adam, and in Adam the human race, convinced Adam of a false identity. Ever thought about that? Original sin is believing a false identity. Mankind lived in this perfect peace as a weak creature, but so filled with the glory of Christ. And Satan says, there's something wrong with your identity. You think you're made in the image of God. The truth is you are a God. See the difference. If I'm a God, then I've got to be strong. I mean, come on. Any God worth its salt, <laughs> I couldn't do anything. It's a God. It's perfect. Okay, I've got this false identity. And it, it was embedded, infused into Adam's consciousness, very self. He believed it. But the moment he believed it, his experience proved him wrong. Immediately. Because he suddenly sees himself as he is, which he'd never done before, because it was such a perfect fit. Christ in him was him. And now he's turned away from that and immediately sees himself. And he said, good grief, I'm naked. Huh. What, what does that mean? Well, it did mean no clothes, I suppose. But the, the essence, you know what naked is. Naked is when you are naked, but we could call that merely he didn't have any clothes on. Doesn't sound so bad, does it? Naked. He's got a to it. Naked. Naked. But that's the point. He found himself naked. I am without strength. I am weak. I'm so weak. I'm ashamed of being so weak because I'm supposed to be a God. Never thought about that before, but I've got to be strong. And he looked at his wife who was over or looking at him and they both were ashamed that you see me as poor, naked, helpless, this weak creature. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn. I don't know what's happened. And immediately, as if some hideous panic attack, they get fig leaves to cover their nakedness. And, and I think we told him, Marshall brought it to my attention a few weeks ago, that, that the, the fig leaves, um, it made, they made a belt. But everywhere else in Scripture, that word is used of putting on armor. They, they've got to put on a mask. I've got to put on a mask of armor that you shall not see me weak. Because ah, now you can't see me weak. My comfort zone, see. Underneath it, because I know I am weak, but you, I've got my mask in place, and I've got a mask for everyone. I've got a mask for God. I've got a mask for you. So you don't see me as weak. And I'm terrified of anything that happens that 
tears aside the fig leaves and shows me that I'm weak. So weakness brought in fear. Weakness brought in anxiety. Weakness, in fact, brought in panic because anybody grabbing leaves off a tree to hide themselves looked like they were in a panic mode. Uh, and, and then when that wasn't enough, they've got to hide from God in the bushes. So they're going around holding bushes in front of them. It, it's stupid. You bet it's stupid because man is now operating totally other than how he was created to operate. He clings to the false identity, I'm God. But at the same time, judges himself and says, you're not. You're weak. You're helpless. There's some, you are made. There's something deficient in you. You're supposed to be God. And here you don't even know what to do. That's a terrible anxiety, judging yourself. But he also believed that God was judging him. Because his whole image of God has changed to fit his new situation. He's made up, invented it. So now God becomes the judge and saying you're not good enough, you're not good enough, you're not a God. And they looked at each other and they realized they were both judging each other. Welcome to the human race where we believe God is our judge. I'm judging myself and you're judging me too and I'm judging you while you're judging me. Oh, live in the writhing anguish of I am not. I am not enough. And so I'm ashamed, I'm angry, I'm frustrated, I'm afraid. And I'm driven by the urge to hide, to cover myself with a mask, to put on armor so you can't get at me, to fortify myself against discovery that you'll never know that I'm that weak, helpless thing that I've discovered myself to be. Are we on the same page? This is the world we were born into. What do you do with weakness? Well, you see, it's, it's birthed out of Adam's mindset, which in the New Testament is called flesh. It's broken humanity. What do we do? Whenever I feel weakness, that I don't know how to handle this, I'm not enough, immediately I've got to remove myself from this situation or remove the situation from me because I cannot allow this thing to make me feel weak. I, I, I can't go there because weakness is bad. And on that, everybody agrees. We've got to get rid of it. So what do we do? Drug ourselves stupid so we no longer remember that we felt weak. What do we do with it? Distract ourselves with... We're crazy. We'll watch television all day. We'll go to the beach 200 times a year. Anything. Go to clubs and parties. Keep it going. Keep the music up. Don't let me come and confront myself in my nakedness that I'm weak. Don't let that happen. Let's live this wonderful life of pretense. Put on the mask. And of course, if you're charismatic, it's spiritual warfare. We've got to get rid of this. It's obviously the devil. Or maybe you're not charismatic. So then you'll call on God to rescue you. He's a deliverer, isn't he? Make it go away, God. 
wave your wonderful in the name of Jesus wand and poof, it's got away. Well, those nasty people. Religion has taught us, deeply taught us, especially here in the West, has taught us to call on God to come from heaven. Oh, rend the heavens and come down. Because here I am in my misery. Come from heaven to where I am and be my deliverer. That is the one who will remove the source of my feeling weakness. But why on earth would he do that? Why would he become the divine escape artist when our feelings of weakness are because we don't believe in our original blueprint? Do I make sense? And of course that only produces further religious anxiety because then I wake up every morning to check on if the situation has changed. And... Um, do I feel better? And um, are they still here? Is he going to answer? And I think sometimes that anxiety is worse than the original anxiety. Because now I'm, I'm beginning to edge toward blaming God for all of this. And also something else humans must do. When I said we give a meaning to it, we have to have a story. We're storytellers at the deepest part of our being. You see, when you have an emotion, any emotion, it lasts, scientifically this is true, it lasts for a few seconds. You can push it to a minute or two, but for a few seconds you have that emotion. That emotion cannot continue unless you give it a story. That is, you say something and it hurts me. And I, the emotion, I feel hurt. I feel betrayed. I feel a lot of things suddenly. That cannot continue unless I bring a story in. And in my story, I say, can you believe she said that to me? Can you believe it? After all, I did. And... We, we begin to, it's a pretty good story. And now I, I'm a victim. Oh, now the, the emotion keeps up and, and I'm fueling the fire here. And then I meet with Clint and I say, do you know what she did? And he agrees, what a poor person you are. Now I've got the story going. Do you realize we can keep a story going for 40 years? And we can continue the emotion, continue the emotion. It's the story we tell, how we looked at it and what we tell ourselves about it. So, of course, you see, um, what do we do when these things happen? We create a story. Now I've got meaning to the pain. Why am I by worries? What he said, she said, what she did. That's why I'm, I'm feeling like this. There's nothing wrong with me, you say. It's everybody else's problem and they dumped it on me. My story, the meaning of my pain. But then I'm ashamed at my pain. Ashamed because I don't let you know that, but I am ashamed because deep inside my very historic genes there is, you're a God. You're not supposed to be like this. 
you're ashamed, I'm not enough, I'm no good. And I believe that most of us here know exactly what I'm talking about when I say that there is that voice inside of us that is a non-stop running commentary on what useless creatures we are. If anybody sat beside me in the car and said to me what that voice says inside of me, I'd stop the car and kick them out. The trouble is, I'm talking to myself. And it's a put down. You're worthless. You're no good. You made a fool of yourself there. Idiot. No wonder everybody laughs at you. Don't look in the mirror. You're ugly. You're no good. On and on and on. Sits by your bed and greets you in the morning. Good morning, you idiot. You're going to do it again today. And of course, if we're believers, there's something wrong with my faith, obviously. If I had more faith, this wouldn't be happening. I've got to rededicate my dedication because there's something wrong with me. I'm a spiritual failure. Rebuke the devil. You can do that so many times and realize the devil's you. <laughs> it's, it's Or we sulk. We indulge in passive anger. We're bored. People think that's a normal situation. Boredom is a, a great spiritual marker of rage that you've buried inside and shame. I'm frustrated. I lose all the zest for life. Because I've already said we blame shift. Then we envy people because nothing like this ever happens to Andrew. It's just me. So I envy him. And envy soon gets to the point where I want to be him. You see, that's the ultimate of envy. Or we become really passive and just deny it's not happening. Couldn't happen to me. Then we procrastinate. One, we'll deal with it later. Kick the can down the road. And in between time, just live in this gnawing, like rats in the cellar. And anywhere in this world, especially here in America, all of what I've just said is logical. That's what we do. It's good common sense. There's no mystery there to be initiated into. You didn't have to learn a secret to come to those conclusions. That's logical. And we'll keep on doing that. Some people do it for the rest of their life and never do find out what it is to be alive. But there comes a point where we run out of options. We hit a brick wall and none of that works. It's a dead end. We're done. We're finished. And if you're a believer, that's wonderful. That's so beautiful because you are on the edge of being initiated into the grandest secret of Christ in us, the hope of glory. And Paul says, that's what I discovered it. I was screaming at God. I was beating my fist. You've got to take this away. And he just let me, like a kid having a tantrum, and then he said, let's talk. My grace is sufficient. 
In fact, my grace is made perfect. It's complete in your weakness. And when Paul got it, he said, I, I got it, I got it. He said, I found, I'm, I'm inside the secret now. When I am weak, then I am strong. Are you daft, man? That's the craziest thing. I, come on, stop being so jolly spiritual. That is nuts. That's crazy. When I am weak, then I'm strong. I mean, at best, I would think it would say, when you're weak, I'll make you strong, and then you'll be strong. But he's, yeah, when you are weak, when, then, then, when you're weak, then you are strong. Do, do you realize what he's saying? That weakness, he said, I've discovered it. Weakness is the portal to God's grace. We overcome the evil by recognize, recognizing that he's taking, he's taking my area of weakness and buffeting as the arena in which he will reveal his strength, his glory, his wisdom, his grace. And that revelation is the beginning of being alive. Because you're no longer fighting the circumstance. You're no longer afraid of the circumstance. God is not simply your ally in getting rid of bad people. You're not blaming God for sending a devil to harass you. I, I, I don't know how to say it stronger until you feel this is as crazy as I feel it is. We do not call for God to come to where we perceive he isn't. Why? Because there's no separation. My weakness is not something apart from where he has his residence. You understand what I'm saying? So many prayers are calling for God to come to where we perceive he is not. Because if God was here, then this wouldn't be happening. That's what we are saying. Instead, what this is saying is, no, he is here. He is right in the middle of this weakness because there's no separation. Where you are, he is. Where he is, you are. And in this weakness, so it's a matter of our perception. It's a matter of where we're looking and expecting. We focus on the circumstance and what happens. All we can see is that we are a victim. We find a poverty mindset that is growing like a mold in the oxygen of fear and anxiety. Well, the secret, that initiating moment is 
Turn away from the situation. It doesn't say the situation goes. It says turn away from the situation to see the ultimate truth that the grace of God is sufficient to handle this right here, right now. In fact, you'll, you'll see the grace of God come to completion in this situation, in the weakness. So the weakness, the weakness that I'm trying to escape from, the weakness is a vital part of the radiating force of the grace of God. Does this make sense? Or am I shooting the breeze in my heart? Because this is crazy. So take your eyes away from what that situation is telling you. That situation says you're supposed to be a God, and you're not, so you're not enough. You're not good enough. You don't have enough. You am not. That was a lie. You're never meant to. That's the point. Crazy, isn't it? You're never meant to. You are meant to live by the grace of God, smack in the middle of weakness. And that's your victory. And this grace is real. I am not talking ab- about something theoretical. You know, those cliches you get when you're going through something. Well, you know, God is good. Yeah, I know he is, but I don't feel it right now. You know. No, this is real. It's not gritting your teeth trying to make something happen or to convince myself it is happening. I've been with some dear people who are my brothers, sisters, friends. But that they, they're continually confessing what they're trying to believe. And that's so sad. That is so sad to see someone trying to believe that the grace of God is with us when it's pretty obvious they don't yet believe it. They've got to convince themselves that something is happening here that they're not sure is at all. In fact, I'd say in many cases they secretly believe that it isn't happening it's merely whistling in the dark like a good Christian you know God's with us yeah but as you whistle in the dark nothing's happening you're you're putting a happy mask over a terrified heart you see the grace the grace is not an impersonal vague cloud of power it says Grace came by Jesus Christ. Jesus is. He is the grace. He is the gift of all that God is. And he dwells inside us with no separation through the spirit of grace. And so he said, my grace. And actually the the Greek there is, my grace is constantly adequate this isn't something that happens when you put up your hand and go forward this is a constant the grace is constantly adequate constantly sufficient my strength is made perfect in weakness the question is where are you looking where are you expecting when you are weak then in reality 
You are strong, you're capable, you're powerful, you have the wisdom to walk through this. I know, this is all backwards. Absolutely. No wonder it took initiation. <laughs> it's all backwards. We think of becoming strong. And when I become strong, then I can overcome evil. Rather, what he's saying is, he says, embrace the weakness as the very point of divine strength. This, this is where we, we, we think we've been taught that having great faith and that sense of authority to hurl back the darkness. Well, that, that's being a mature Christian. But what actually defeats the darkness is that in our weakness, we're united with his strength in the heart of the darkness. And it is the darkness that is, that's where he is. And that we're, we're confronted with the deliverer. You, you be sure he's the deliverer. But his deliverance is not getting us out of the situation. It is that we participated his strength when we feel his, feel our weakness. And that is so real, I say it again, that it is, it's not a put on. It's, it's very real. Okay, put it this way. We wake up to realize that he is perfectly at home in the feelings and in everything that I'm asking him to remove. Did I say that too quickly? He is at home. He resides in this thing that is happening to me that I'm asking him to remove. Because God couldn't be in this. So God up there somewhere who's not with me right now because he, he wouldn't be here. So please remove this so we can get back to normal. He says, no, when you're weak, that's when my grace in you reaches its perfection. That's when you really see who I am. We've got a new story. We've got a new story. When this is happening, I don't come and tell everybody what terrible people they are or what I'm going through and I'm such a... No, it's a new story. We tell ourselves the new story. And that's what he was doing in Philippians. He said, this is my story. My story is, I have learned the secret. I'm content in every situation. So you see me when I've got nothing. You see me when I'm in abundance. Don't, don't get excited. I've, I'm, I'm not controlled by exterior. I'm controlled by a grace that is within me that enables me to walk through whatever's going on. I need different grace when I'm down to the grace when I'm up, but it's the same grace. So, we embrace Christ Jesus as the all of this moment, and then you can embrace the moment of weakness as the perfect place to reveal his strength. That's, that's the way it is. 
So you're not telling yourself the story of I'm not enough and how could they do this to me to reveal that. No. Instead, I'm, I'm given the story of his strength perfectly manifest right in the place where I feel weakness. Let me put it another way. He resides perfectly at peace in the middle of the place that I call horror. This is my nightmare. This is my pain. It's a place of fear. But he lives in that and tells me I hold the keys of death and hell. And I would call that situation I'm going through both death and hell. And he stands there and twirls the keys on his fingers and said, I own the joint. It's So the place we're running away from and afraid of is his address. And if he's there, it means he's holding us individually and holding the entire situation inside himself. And the word that's used in, in 2 Corinthians 12, which I don't understand translators sometimes, but uh, what, what's he say? I most gladly rather boast about my weakness that the power of Christ may dwell in me. It's not what it says. And even the Amplified Bible, for you who are evangelicals and you're a bit scared of me, but the Amplified Bible, we all agree on the Amplified. They say it means that, let, let me read it again. It says um, that, uh, both that the power of Christ may dwell in me. I say that's not what it says. It says that the power, the presence of Christ may dwell upon me like a tent. That's the word. And all other translations, except the ones we're used to, uh, have recognized that. That's what it says. He comes upon us like a tent. So we're, he's hosting us in this moment. And what is this moment? Is the moment of weakness that I don't want. But it's in that moment of weakness that he is tenting me. His tent dwells over us like a tent. A, a tent, it means I am I'm in the embrace. I am called beloved in this moment with a word that cancels that idiot that keeps talking to me inside. I'm beloved. Christ is my wisdom. Christ is my strength. I'm tented in that. Let, let me read. This, this is interesting, actually, because I prepared this and I had not shared everything that I'm saying with Cheryl. Um, and this morning, the Holy Spirit spoke very directly. Read Psalm 61. Let me read it in the Passion Translation. In the light of what I've just said, Oh God, hear my prayer. Listen to my heart's cry. For no matter where I am, even when I'm far from home, I will cry out to you for a father's help. When I'm feeble, weak, overwhelmed by life, 
guide me into your glory where I am safe and sheltered. Lord, you are a paradise of protection to me. You lift me high above the fray. None of my foes can touch me there. When I'm held firmly in your wraparound presence, keep me in this glory. Let me live continually under your splendor shadow, hiding my life in you forever. You read the whole psalm. I don't have time. But David understood this. He didn't say take the enemies away. He said hide me. Let me be in the middle of this, wrapped around in your presence, wrapped around in belovedness. Right? Look, in the last weeks I have said much about Christ inside our darkness. And I think most of you were okay, at least after a while, that he's not the Christ outside saying, when you've got your act together, I'll be your friend. It is he came in the incarnation inside our darkness. He came inside our hell and he came inside our death and filled it full of his light and his love and said, I had the keys. What I'm doing now is extending that. It doesn't stop when you wake up to Jesus. Actually, it only just begins. He's not going to... He just joins us in our darkness and transforms the darkness into what we could never dream it to be. I know. We Americans have a hard job even thinking that's possible. But Paul, especially in Philippians 4, when he's more giving a record of life, he picks that, he said, after that discovery I learned, I have a life of total contentment. Well, what changed, Paul? I did. I did. I woke up to who he really is in me and who I am in him. That changed everything. Though the emptiness is still there, the abundance is still there, they still insult me, they still tell lies about me, but I'm I'm content. I'm self-sufficient in his sufficiency. That's what the word strengthen. It's, um, you know, in the old King James Version, if you could speak old English, it would make a lot more sense. It says, um, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. Well, of course, we don't say that anymore. But, but the Amplified Bible picked up on that and says, I can do all things through Christ who infuses me with his strength. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. What's he saying? Christ strengthens me. So it doesn't mean you are made strong in yourself. To know I can say, thank you very much, Jesus. You did a jolly good job. And um, I'll, I'll go over there and show you just how strong you made me. Rather, no, he says, I'm as weak as I always was. If you're going to leave it to me. I'm, I'm the same, I, I'm weak. But I have realized Christ in the middle of this weakness, tenting me with his presence. And so I actually participate in his strength. 
and his strength is my strength. It's as if Jesus takes the fullness of his life and strength and pours it inside of you. And so now you live, yet not I, it's Christ who lives in me. I am handling, I am living, I am seeing, I'm perceiving this this situation because I'm now one with Christ. We share. There's a lot of stuff going around today. Be Beware of it. Which says, you are gods. Now, just a minute. I remember Satan saying that. That's the whole point. You are not gods. You are gods by grace. You are not gods. You are gods because you are participating in Christ. We are sons of God because we're participating in the only son. And he has fully poured himself into us. We derive, we receive. And so all our life is defined by in Christ, in Christ. Outside of that, there's nothing. It isn't that he did something for me, and now if you can pay for it with enough faith, come and get it. It is rather he put his arms around me and joined himself to me so that my history is his history, his history is my history, and I get it all by gift. And it's not a one-time thing. It's minute by minute by minute. So we never strengthen ourselves. But he who is the God human now pours into us who he really is. And this is... Where Jesus taught us, first of all, how to live the human life. God became human to show humans how to live the human life. And what is the key word to the whole life of Jesus? Of my own self, I can do nothing. If that isn't a statement of absolute weakness, of my own self, Jesus speaking, when God became human, This is human. Of my own self, I can do nothing. All that I say, I am receiving from the Father. All that I do, I see. He says, it's a relationship. Me and the Father, we're one. And when he works, I work. When he says, I speak, we're we're one. Saying the same thing. But of course, this disarms the enemy to the max. Can you imagine? It's one thing that he made me strong so I can now punch you back. No. This is so, it's so crazy. It's also so absolutely wonderfully neat. Jesus uses the weapons of the enemy against, because he he showed us how right at the get-go in that he he let them crucify him. But what saved us? <laughs> Their crucifying him saved them. And that's the principle. What they're doing is actually going to be the means of our deliverance, but also many times theirs too. The darkness can't comprehend that. Can't educate yourself into that. 
takes a revelation. And, um, well, very quickly, how, how do we, right, you're, you're sitting in the middle of one of these situations. How do you start this new way of life? Well, number one, and I'm going to be quick about it, don't wish your situation away as if it could go away. And of course, you know it can't go away just by your wanting it to. That's what we call anxiety. You sit there wishing this wasn't happening. I wish it wasn't happening. Well, are you are you tired of doing that? I mean, it, it's happening, man. Get real. Enter into the isness of life. It is happening. So we, we neither keep on talking like that or privately going into that idiot dimension that we call anxiety out of which then we pray that God would make life disappear. <laughs> Our worst enemies, you know, just take... And of course we say, why, why did he let them do it? Yeah. Somebody else asked the same question about you. <laughs> yes, it's a world of free will. Frightening. But he joins us in it, and this is his magnificent plan. So, so don't go around wishing it away it is i'm not saying you should enjoy it but your anxiety is far more death dealing to you than facing the reality that this is life but then in the same thought realize that where you are this is this life that is whether you like it or not that is where the holy trinity lives the very place I'm trying to get away from is where the Holy Trinity lives. He's not separated. He's not up. He never is. He's simultaneously living life in you and with you. And therefore he's present in this nest of fear and weakness. God fills the place that we're afraid even to look at, think about let alone go to. To us, that, that spells my undoing. And he says, come and realize that you live in my embrace. Then you can embrace this situation. Watch what happens. You see, we miss the wonders of love by seeking outside ourselves. We seek for a distant Christ who isn't here in our estimation. And so we've got to coax him into action. We've got to give him the goodies and say, I'll do this, I'll do that. I promise you, I promise you, if only you'll come and get me out of this. So, so pathetic, religious pathetic. When he is in me, I'm in him. Wake up! and realize that is true, and then see the wonders of love in that. He doesn't need to be cajoled into doing something for us. Who do you think he is, some pagan deity? He says, give me one more pair, you know. It's, we realize that I am in him, and he's in me, but also me in this situation, the whole lot. Now, this doesn't mean we're passive. Well, maybe I should start out with this. 
but I'm just, you know, I just limp in the situation. I embrace the situation. Let it walk all over me. And just pray, Lord, don't let it be too long. Just no, that, that, I'm, If you gather that, then re-listen, because I'm not saying that. Nor does it mean I embrace the negative as that's it. I embrace the negative. Now we go through with it. No, I'm recognizing that the negative is negative. I recognize that it's revealing to me I'm not enough. I'm helpless. But instead of running away from that, I turn immediately to the reality that Christ my life. So I don't, I don't wallow in the negative situation. The, the religious, I mean the serious religious, have done that over the centuries. And you'll get it in the stories of the saints where, oh goody, I've got TB. Now, now it's going to make a saint. No, no, don't be. We, we start with what I'm talking about here. But you see, this person who holds the keys of death and hell, in whom I now live, who lives in me, and this situation is his domain, well, he is the healer. He is the true deliverer in that he, in that situation, shares with us his triumph over evil. We're not passively sitting there waiting for it to destroy us. We can embrace it with a wink. Because we know you meant it for evil, God means it for good. He gives real songs in the night. I mean, come on, the man who wrote this letter, and it was in the city to which he wrote it. Do you remember? They beat him till he was pope, and they put him into the innermost jail, and then they tortured him. And in the middle of that torture, he and Silas sang. Where did they get the breath for that? They sang until you could hear them outside the prison, and then the prison walls fell down. They could not have sung if they were praying for God to take this away. You embrace it first. I'm here inside the arms of Jesus here. I embrace it. Now what? what's up, Jesus? Where, where do we go from here? And I, I can't always tell you. I don't know. Um, God is not so boring as to have a book of formulas the way he works. Because I could tell you when Peter was here, he went to sleep in jail before he was going to be beheaded. Now, if that isn't contentment, I don't know what is. And when the angel came to get him out of there, he had to shake Peter. That's in the Bible. He had to shake him. Wake up, man. I've come to get you out of here. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's in the Bible. Remember reading it? I'm sure you do. It's... Uh, and then Paul was beaten, but that... I don't know. How, how do you sing when you've been beaten? Well, that's the point. I can't explain this. It's a grace that goes beyond all common sense. I could keep on. The ways in which this happened is different. And I'm not telling you this is going to happen. Or that's, all I'm saying is the grace that tempts you will 
you will see it as God sees it, which is unspeakable joy, beyond word strength and wisdom to walk through, so you no longer see it as a thorn. You see it as this opportunity for God to be revealed in, in all his fullness. Well, there it is. My timer says we have come to the end. And, yeah, read it to us. Cheryl. <laughs> yeah. My fellow believers, when it seems as though you are facing nothing but difficulties, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. For you know that when your faith is tested, it stirs up power within you to endure all things. And then as your endurance grows even stronger, it will release perfection into every part of your being until there's nothing missing and nothing lacking. That's James chapter 1, verse 2, and 3, and 4. <laughs> um, in the Passion Translation, that says it. Thank you. Father, we do give you thanks that we're beginning to see the mystery. Thank you for what we have seen of what is so upside down and nonsensical to this world. We thank you. Thank you that in Christ we rise above a society drugged to escape their pain. Thank you that you've caused us to rise above a life that is just simply distraction to avoid facing life. Thank you that you are with us, in us, over us, under us, in the midst of real life. And in that you are the joy and the peace and the strength and the wisdom, the source of our belovedness, in whom we now live and move and have our being and live as human beings as you created us to live. We thank you. Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.